0: Hi everyone, I'm Rit here. So as you know, myself and the team work hard to bring you an all new episode of Startup Dads every week without fail. But over the Christmas period, we're taking some time off to enjoy with family. The show is Startup Dads after all. So for the next couple of weeks, we're going to replace some of our favorite episodes for all of you. For any new listeners, this is a golden opportunity to discover some Startup Dads classics. And for our regulars, it's a chance to get some of our guests' knowledge bombs internalized. This episode with Matt Reynolds, the CEO and founder of Barbell Logic, first ran in April 2021 one of my personal favorites. Enjoy. Welcome to Startup Dads, a podcast about the highs and lows of building a business and raising a family at the same time. For more information about the topics we cover on the podcast and other Startup Dads related content, you can follow us on Twitter at Startup Dads Pod. I'm Amrit, co-founder of HyperExponential, a tech startup that I co-founded in 2017. It's grown from a two-person team working out of my kitchen to a profitable business with several large clients and more than 20 team members across London and Europe. I'm also dad to Evie, my first child who was born last December. I'm absolutely delighted to say today that I've got Matt Reynolds with me on the podcast. Matt, can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what makes you a startup dad?
1: Sure. First off, thanks for having me on the show. I get excited when I get to talk to people across the pond because they have better accents than me. <laughs> it's funny. I did another podcast yesterday with a guy from Scotland and I was like, I love your accents are fantastic. So yeah, I'm I'm Matt Reynolds. Uh, I run a company called Barbell Logic. My first company was actually a, a gym called Strong Gym, which was a, um, a hardcore training gym, but in a concierge boutique sort of environment. So high level customer service, but with hardcore training and so that really kind of started to set ourselves apart I sold that business at the end of 2015 and officially started an online strength coaching business which is now morphed into what barbell logic is and so barbell logic is a really a, a high-end concierge high touch online coaching company we have around 70 expert coaches that work for us a staff of in the mid 80s at this point 85 87. We pair our clients with a personal coach that will work well with them, not just in the gym or in the weight room, but that we hope that we are able to pair you often by personality and we provide all of the programming through uh, an app on your phone and you video yourself on your phone doing your workout and then the coaches, our coaches, your personal coach, breaks down your workout every day within 24 hours. And so um, that is a little different than most of what you're seeing in the online coaching industry right now. So uh, that's what we do at Barbell Logic. We also put out a ton of what we believe is high value, high quality content via the Barbell Logic podcast, the Barbell Logic YouTube channel, articles, eBooks, all of that stuff is free. And so we try to put out as much content as we can for free to educate. So that's what we do in the in the startup world. On the dad side, I've been married for 21 years to my high school sweetheart, Rachel. She is my training partner. We train together, we love it. Uh, Fitness is sort of a family event for us. And I have two daughters, one uh, who's 16, Kaylin. She's one of the most outgoing people you'd ever meet in your entire life. She's never met a stranger. She loves public speaking, the kind of things that would terrify somebody else, she absolutely loves. And then my 10-year-old, Kinsley, who is, really almost the complete opposite of her older sister. She's super smart in science and technology. She's wired to be an engineer. She's a little more quiet and introverted, um, but they are both incredible kids. Fitness is a big part of our life and a big part of what we do. Being a startup dad, it allows me, I, I get to change people's lives for the better every single day and be very proud about what i'm doing um and i love that
0: fantastic intro thanks so much and for full disclosure uh, this is not a sponsored podcast but i am a a member of the barber logic family myself Uh, it's kept me uh, remotely healthy and and sane uh, over the last year so i'm a huge fan of your team what you do i'm really looking forward to this conversation So let's jump into it. So, you know, one of the things I really wanted to ask you about was that intersection between the different jobs you do. So you have at least three jobs from what I can see, Matt. You're the CEO of a fast growing technology and fitness firm. Uh, You're a strength coach yourself uh, and you're a family man. Right, you with your wife, Absolutely. you're the leaders of your family. Um, so, can you talk to talk to us a little bit about the crossovers between your roles, how you manage that, how they kind of fertilize and make each other stronger, and the challenges, I suppose, that you that you face. Yeah, that's
1: a great question. When I started in the gym back in 2008, we started homeschooling about the same time. And so, in my first career, I was actually a public school teacher and had finished my master's to be a, a high school principal. My wife was a kindergarten teacher we had taught for years. And uh, when the gym had grown to the point that we sat down and had this discussion as a family, like, "Hey, we don't we don't have to teach anymore. The gym can actually support the family." I started. I became this this business owner. I, I certainly didn't consider myself at the time a startup owner, a startup company. I mean, It was a it was a brick and mortar gym, but life was not. Totally different in the way we interacted with the family because even though the my family and and they would probably say different, they were home doing homeschool, which was different than public school, but I was still away at my job. And so what really changed was in 2015 when I started working exclusively from home and we were all home together. So now my wife's a stay-home mom, we're homeschooling the kids. I'm working from home, and I had this idea of how how sort of just beautiful and organized it was all going to be, and it it wasn't at all. <laughs> it was it was chaos, <laughs> and so uh, it took some time to try to figure out our groove and how do we work together as a family. How everyone had work to do, uh, the kids had school work to do, and and we. One of the things that we focus on uh, for me in the company is I am all about efficiency. I want to work smart. Uh, I'm certainly a hard worker. I like the work. I actually really enjoy my job, but I also don't want to be working at eight o'clock at night. So I'm an early to bed, early to rise sort of guy. Uh, I never set my alarm ever. And I typically get up somewhere between 4.30 and 5.30 in the morning, every single morning and get to work. My family sleeps until usually 7 or 7.30. So I, I get two to three hours of work in before my family even wakes up every morning. And that allows me to get a ton of work knocked out in a very efficient manner in the mornings. And then my family does the homeschool all morning while I continue to do my job as a CEO. Because I'm very consistent at working every single morning, I'm able to knock out the urgent stuff pretty quick, usually within the first hour of work. And that then allows me to focus on the more important things, the actually being a CEO, the working on the company and not just working in the company as a strength coach. So I, I do still maintain a, a fair handful of clients. I think that's important as a CEO of a service company to understand what the service is actually like. As, as technology changes, as new software comes about, as things, I need to be able to empathize with my coaches and with my staff. And so that is a requirement for all of our leadership who are coaches. Uh, anybody who is a coach must coach, even the senior VPs in the business. Um, we don't have to coach a ton, but it needs to be enough to to be able to, to sympathize with our staff. And again, that's because when I, when I say we're a people-centered company, I certainly am talking about my, our clients, but I'm also talking about the staff. I don't want to burn out my staff because we're so focused on the clients. I want the clients to have the best possible experience they could ever have. We have an incredible client experience team at Barbell Logic. I'm you know, you know I'm sure you've experienced that. But we also have an entire team that's dedicated to the same thing for our staff. And so being able to empathize there I think is a is a really important piece of that. You know, we are I'm very organized maybe to a fault. Even things like my routine in the morning of waking up early and making my first espresso, and I make, and even the order with which I do those things in is the most efficient way possible. And the reason that is important to me is that by lunchtime, one o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock in the afternoon at the latest, I get to turn off being a CEO owner and I get to be the dad. Just the dad, just the husband. That's great. And um, I don't respond to emails and I don't respond to texts during the night. Most of the time, my phone is on Do Not Disturb. Work life balance is interesting and tough, I think, for anybody. It's extra tough for startup founders and CEOs, and even more difficult when you're running that company from your home. Your kids are homeschooled, your wife's at home, we're home together all the time. And so being able to manage that, I think is really important. And the simple answer is you have to be very intentional about it.
0: One thing I wanted to unpack with you a little bit there is on the homeschooling side. I've noticed actually, and I don't know whether this is a common theme or not, but when I talk to a lot of startup founders, there's a strong preference or desire to experiment or try homeschooling. And I think, you know, when you are a business owner, flexibility and the ability to match your resource to the needs of the day is so key. How was it chicken or egg there? Like homeschooling, was that a natural thing for you?
1: Yeah, obviously, you don't, we didn't plan to set out to homeschool when we were both public school teachers in our first career. Part of being a public school teacher, we when we taught at what is considered a very good school district, we still saw the inefficiencies of the public school system is really what it came down to for us. We wanted to optimize education. And I think that's really the similarity between what goes on when you're trying to run a company or or found a startup. And so for us, we wanted to optimize our kids' education as well as we wanted the flexibility to travel. We travel all the time. And when you run an online business and you homeschool your kids, you can continue to run that online business no matter where you are in the world. One of the big things that wasn't taught to me in public education, I think I got a pretty good education for being in public school but nobody really taught me about economics, macroeconomics, microeconomics, how to balance a checkbook, why I shouldn't get into debt when I was 18 years old, you know, things like that. Things are very closely related to business and business ownership and I think really yeah. some of the foundational philosophy behind why you might want to start a business. I think you kind of need some of those things beforehand and so by homeschooling our kids, we have the opportunity to teach them. Of course, they learn very intense math science, you know, English, composition, social studies, history, those things, those don't go by the wayside for us. But then it also gives us an opportunity to to emphasize things like economics and big picture items, just even life skills that aren't really taught in the public school system. And so the combination, you nailed it, of flexibility and optimization of education was what was important to us. So we've been able to do that. And, and I, all the credit goes to my wife. She's incredible at it. She's, she, is a natural, incredible teacher. She was always a beloved teacher in her public school district. You know, if she can teach a classroom of 30 kindergartners, she can teach two kids at home. Certainly I take a little bit of a role there in making sure, and actually it's more in the management of the kiddos and making sure that they're actually getting their work done and getting their work done in the right amount of time. And I don't want my kids to work on school 10 hours a day. I think that's, you don't get to be a kid. Man, I've taught them that they can actually get an incredible education if they work really hard and efficient, they put their cell phones away and turn them on, do not disturb and practice those things that so many founders do like Pomodoros and 25 minutes of undistracted time that works just as well for a second or third grader as it does a 40 year old CEO.
0: It's absolutely true. And I think some of the things you touched on there, we had a a really great guest, uh, Carl Reader, a few episodes on the show about, and he talked so much about some of the things you just said that kids at school, and uh, certainly for when I grew up, you know, you don't get taught the fundamentals of business, which are not necessarily complicated, but are so important. And it's amazing how, you know, you can come out of school knowing the boiling point of, bromine or whatever it is, but not necessarily knowing, you know, what an interest rate can do. How many times do you
1: consider basic opportunity cost every single day? I mean, it's probably 25 times a day. And yet it's almost never discussed. And so little things like that become really important. You know, teaching our kids how to budget their money, teaching our kids how to save a percentage, how to give away a percentage. And, you know, those things are really important for us.
0: One of the things I I found really amazing when I talk to pretty much every startup dad, startup mom is how I think founders generally are serial optimizers. And the simple fact of the matter is you have more things to do than you have time. So you have to learn to optimize to pass on the sense that time is precious, I think, is one of the most important things you can do for your children.
1: I just hope they internalize it. Right. That's the thing is like at this point and while their kids are growing, you know, there are times when they'll there's that pushback from the kids where. You know, they've got an hour of chores to do every day. And sometimes it takes them five hours. And I'm like, why did it take five hours? Like, you weren't really working. Like, yeah, I was working. Like, not really. And then you kind of sit down and you walk through it with them and say, hey, I want to make sure you understand. I have taught you how to optimize your work because I actually want you to be able to spend the bulk of your day doing the fun stuff you wanna do. I don't want you to do chores and work for five hours. I want you to knock it out in under an hour and be done and get to go hang with your friends and listen to music and do the things you wanna do. If you have to work for five hours, then that's worse, right? So this is actually for your joy. And so if you can if you can actually communicate that and have it internalized, that's and that's still to be seen. We'll, we'll see how well my kids take that with them when, dad isn't able to put his thumb down on him. Well, you think about that a lot for sure.
0: Awesome. Well, I've got a different question on a similar theme actually. So uh, the way Barbell Logic engages with its team and its clients, I can say that as one of your clients, is very heavily family oriented. And, you know, I think the collective description you have for all of us, you know, the, the team, the, our clients, is block fam. And one of the things I wanted to explore with you, because it's very well known, Reed Hastings, yeah. you know, who I really like and I'm a huge fan of. He's got this fascinating analogy, though. He talks about Netflix as a high performing yeah. sports team. And I was watching a documentary about one of the most high performing sports teams of all time, Manchester United football yeah. soccer team over here. And the opening thing that Alex Ferguson said was, we're a family. So you got Reed Hastings going our business is a sports team. It's not a family and they're one of the greatest sports teams of all time going no 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 we're like a family here. How do you think about this? How do you think about that when it comes to your business?
1: Yeah, that's a that's this is such a great question. So first off, I'm a huge Netflix fan, I'm a huge Reed Hastings fan. I've read everything that's ever been written about it. We have taken a ton from their culture documents and the way we we do HR at uh, barbell logic is that's had a big impact on us. I've watched every documentary ever ever done on them. Um, I've actually changed a little bit here on a personal level over the last couple of years. That hashtag block fam came from the clients. It didn't come from me. And I'm thankful for that because I want our clients to think about our company like it's a family. As a matter of fact, to the client, I think it should feel like a family. To the paying customer if they feel like it's a family, boy, you've you've hit a home run on the, on the community or culture. That, that's huge. I want my staff to think about it like a team. The difference between a family and a team and what Reed Hastings talks about is that we are a high performing team and we absolutely will go to war with each other. And I don't mean that, I'm not throwing that word around. It's not the same thing as war, obviously, but like you're willing sure. to fight hard battles together. In this team but it's always for the good of the company and when we start to think about things in that way in that netflix, the way netflix describes it, it was what's what's best for the company is almost always what's best for me as well but it is not an unconditional love relationship among your staff and you're lying if you say that it is if you have a consistent you know if, if you have a family member that you love and adore and they struggle with drugs and alcohol and they're constantly in and out of rehab and they can't take care of their kids and they're you still love them unconditionally because it's your brother or sister or daughter or whatever. But if that's the same case and it's your employee, you fire them, right? You, you try to get them help and you and you treat them right. But that's, that's, so it's not, you're lying if you say that you're truly a family as a staff. You're not truly a family as a staff. I am a big fan of founders not being greedy with equity in their company. I think it is a wonderful thing to be able to offer equity and stock options to your high performers, to your top managers, executives, VPs, stock options to your staff, because then you feel more like a partnership because you actually are a partnership you' we're partners I don't want to be thought of as the boss I, I am thankful for the opportunity to lead this incredible team we have an incredible team and that's the way I speak about the staff is the team we speak about the clients as a family because one of the things we're trying to do with our clients is we're trying an online coaching creating a family-like community culture when you never see someone in person, right? You're being coached by a guy who lives in the Midwest and you are 4,000 miles away or whatever. It is. I mean, you're not even close, you know? But our job is still to help create and cultivate a relationship, a professional, but but very friendly family-like relationship between you and your coach. Your coach's job is to continue. We want to support them. We want them to find lots of joy and value in their job at Barbell Logic, but it's their job to perform. So I think about it a little different between the staff and the, and the actual clients.
0: I love that, that's a really great distinction. And I, I totally agree with your point about, you know, your example there. Whereas if you've got someone who's just a big underperformer, the way I've reconciled this myself is, you know, you've got to think about your whole team as a unit. And if you're allowing certain poor behaviors to persist, your team has to bear the load. Right? That's right. The rest of the team with your family, as you rightly said, you have to stand by them. But, you know, you can allow that unfairness to persist under the relationship of a blood relationship. That's right. Whereas unlo- allowing that unfairness to persist, allowing other people to have to pick up the slack or unfairly have to deal with abuse or, or these things, it, it's helped me reconcile in my mind a natural tendency to want to try and be, you know, more familial.
1: Yeah. That makes perfect sense. And I mean, for us too, the cu- culture is huge for us. Our culture is everything and so for us as well for our staff i want a high density of high performers but if they're not a culture fit they can be incredible at their job but it's not going to work long term because they're not a fit for the culture and so the culture is huge i mean if it's if you're a company who's focused on client experience and people over processes and then you bring someone in who's great at process and great at all these things but they cannot put people first it doesn't fit. And so we're constantly looking for, yes, very intelligent people. Yes. High performers. Yes. High skilled people, but they must be a culture fit for us.
0: So I want to go down a slightly different route now because I think one of the things I'd like to talk about is a little bit about the analogies between strength training and life, both in business and family. Because I think one of the things I've realized is strength training for me has provided so many analogies, right? Really great mental models for doing hard things. Yep. I just think it's been in, uh, in an unexpected way for me, a really amazing teacher about things I didn't expect to learn about. And, you know, I suppose one of them I wanted to ask you about was about stress and load management. Because, you know, when you train, and I've learned this now, because I spent most of my life being training badly or not even training, right? It's probably not the right time on Startup dads to go into training versus exercise. But they can find that on your podcasts, which we yeah. can shout out at the end. But, you know, one of the things I'd say is they're kind of, in my mind, there are very, very clearly two types of stress, right? There are probably more, but I, they're, broadly, there's stress that drives a kind of super compensatory response stress that helps you grow. And then there's stress that's destructive, right? Stress that gets you injured. Obviously you've become, you know, probably one of the industry's leaders in building a business around this on the strength side, but how do you think about this in business? Because I definitely know that there are times where I'm not managing my stress well.
1: Yeah. So let's start with, we, we have a philosophical concept that we use at Barbell Logic that we call voluntary hardship. We choose to do hard things. And for us and for our clients, the thing that is very general and seems to work well for everyone is simple, hard, effective strength training. Nobody's gonna make you put a barbell on your back and squat. Squatting's hard. Nobody wants to squat, right? It's the hardest thing physically you'll probably ever do. Squatting's hard, deadlifting's hard, heavy presses are hard, right? But that squat, especially that thing about putting a barbell on your back and making the weight go up a little bit every time, it's so hard. Now, again, I want to be clear. It's not hard in the same way a family tragedy is hard. It's not hard in the same way of having to get shipped off to war is hard. It's not, right? It's voluntary hardship. You're choosing to do a hard thing. And so when we do that, when we choose to do a hard thing and we choose to be refined by it, as a matter of fact, when we choose... To do hard things i think the natural sort of flow or the natural impact is often that we are refined by that voluntary hardship what we have found is that when you are cast into involuntary hardship when something hits when you know the really tough like we we went through our first lawsuit in uh 2019 and man it was hard it was so tough and of course it was you know it was entirely involuntary like we we got sued that's not in federal court, something you didn't want to, don't want to have happen. And so, but when we have spent many, many days and many weeks and many months and years and often decades choosing to do the hard thing because it refines us and makes us better, not just because of what it gets us in the end, but that there's actually value in the work itself. Then when you have to face the involuntary hardship, that destructive stress, we found that you're just better able to handle it as well. Because your body, your body doesn't know the difference between positive stress and negative stress, right? Between beneficial stress, this, this thing that we do in the weight room where we actually, what you're doing when you go do a little more than you've ever done before, you do a little more weight on the squat or a little more volume or a little more tonnage or whatever that thing is, it's actually breaking your body down a little bit. That's what it does. And then your body adapts to it. It responds and adapts. This, is, this has been well documented in the literature for a hundred years now. Well, the same thing happens in business. So we push, like the status quo is not okay for us in business ever. Status quo, not okay. You don't grow when you're complacent, right? And so we are constantly pushing to do things quickly. We are pushing to do it right Uh, another one of our core values and core tenets is that we always choose rightly, whether it's best for us or not. Like we choose what's right, what's morally right, what's ethically right. Like we're going to do the right thing. That doesn't mean that we've always done or made the right choice. Like sometimes you look back in hindsight, 2020, and you go, "Mm, I I screwed that one up. But if we're constantly choosing this hard thing that refines us both on a very simple, simple physical level in the weight room, But also in the business where we've decided we want to be an industry disruptor, then what we're doing works because like it uniquely works because it's uniquely different and it's uniquely hard and other people haven't been able to do it. And so we pursue that with everything we've got. We ferociously pursue that. And then when the lawsuit hits or one of your star employees leaves or family tragedy hits or whatever the thing is, it doesn't make it easy. It just means that you have now trained to learn how to deal with hardship. And so I believe you are almost always refined by voluntary hardship. I believe you can be refined by involuntary hardship, but a lot of people are not. But the ones who have the best chance of being refined for the better through the involuntary hardship are the ones who have chosen a daily walk of voluntary hardship to prepare for that. Life is peppered with some of those some of those tragedies and some of those involuntary hardships. And so, and your physical life is the same. So you train in the gym to be better and more resilient and more anti-fragile. And then one day when you get COVID, you handle it better. One day when you get cancer, you handle it better. You know how to fight the the hard physical fight, just like you learn how to do the same thing in the mental, emotional, social, managerial business world. It works exactly the same way.
0: I love that. It's a fantastic uh, exposition on the analogy. At HX, we talk a lot about this isn't going to be an easy place to work. We didn't want to make an easy place to work. Yeah, it's fun. That's right. It's fun and it's challenging and it's uh, many things, but it's not an easy place to work. And, you know, gearing yourself up for the fact that you're, you're going to join somewhere hard and it's going to be worth it. You're going to grow, succeed and be happy. These things matter to me. You know, for me, if I can align that in every single team member we have, then the business just sorts itself out. That's right. Yeah. And I really love your analogy there that you talk a little bit about reflecting on the challenges you're going through because ray dalio i think from bridgewater associates he talks about one of the greatest things in his view that distinguishes people is uh, people who grow is that if they can reflect on their pain yep and reflecting on pain is really hard and look all of us i'm sure have been through things in our lives that we'd never ever want to reflect on but what i found with strength is you reflect on the little bit of pain you went through every day right you you do your training you watch yourself stand up and sit down with a weight on your back and you go oh that looked terrible yeah, right i'm going to reflect on that And you learn and actually that cycle of kind of reflection and adaptation uh, is a really great thing to groove in business, in strength training, in life. And all of those things can teach you a little bit about how to build a framework to, yeah, to do that, to groove that uh, and use it to get better.
1: One of his, Dalio's quotes from principles, I think from his book, he says, uh, never underestimate the power of a good cleansing storm. And I love it, right? So when you're going through the storm and you're like, oh man, this is so, this is so yeah. polarizing. And it's so like, it's, you know, you come through on the other side and you recognize that, that when you get through it, that the team that made it through, that fought through that, they're, they're far more powerful and they're far closer together and they're far more tightly yeah. knit by it's the power of the good cleansing storm. And we don't, I think yeah. we get into business and we don't, we don't want to have the storms, right? Like that's, yeah. when you're going through those times where things are great, things are great. You don't ever want to go through the storm and yet you realize that the, you're never refined by the great times. No. You're refined by the storm. Yeah. And so I there's a lot so. of power there.
0: Um, I don't know if I've said this on the podcast already, but I'll say it again. I um, heard a really great quote by um, Ben Horowitz, who's a big venture capitalist in the States. Yeah. He was asked the question, what's the difference between the founders who've built billion dollar businesses, $10 billion businesses, and $100 billion businesses? And his answer was very simple. He's like, it's not complicated, it's just the amount of pain they can tolerate and That's go right. through. That's right. Yeah. He's like, probably to build a billion dollar business, yeah, you need a fair share of luck, uh, lots of hard work, lots of smarts. But you know, what growth, growth that comes from pain, right? That's right. <laughs> um,
1: yeah, his book, His book. The Hard Thing About Hard Things, I've read probably 10 times at this point.
0: It's one of my favorites.
1: It's, um, it's actually cathartic for me at this point. Like when we're in the cleansing storm, I go back and read The Hard Thing About Hard Things. As a matter of fact, that entire family tree that really came from Andy Grove. So Andy Grove is one of the, you know, who was a, yeah. known as one of the best managers of all time. Has a book called High Output Management. So for your for your listeners who are founders, that is a that is an absolute must read. High output management. Yeah. Um, you know, he trained this young manager, John Doerr, who then wrote Measure Measure What Matters about OKRs, and it's completely changed the really the world of the way you set about setting goals and actions and metrics and those sort of things for companies like Google and Apple and Amazon. And then from there, you, you actually have the tie back to Horowitz and, and Mark Andreessen. And those guys are now together in A16Z. And, and so you see this family tree of these founders who get it. Founders who I think would be, you know, like certainly I would, I take any of those guys on my board of directors. I'm probably will oh, never yeah. have the opportunity to have that, but they are light years ahead of me at this point. But there's so much to be gleaned from that family tree. And so uh, there is a, there's a lot of power in the tough stuff, in the pain.
0: Yeah, I totally agree about the catharsis of, uh, of the hard thing about hard things. Uh, I feel emotional when I read that book, uh, yeah. particularly the last bit about the struggle. Yeah. I totally get it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, and yeah, A and Z, if you're listening to brilliant startups right here. Um, That's right. uh, (laughs) Brilliant. Um, So a slightly related question then. How do you plan for peaking and recovery at work? Because I think, you know, I don't know if you feel this. I've noticed now that naturally I have cycles, whether I like them or not, where I know I'm in the zone. And, you know, one of the things I'm worst at, absolutely worst at, is recovery. I'm just terrible at it, right? Um, how do you do that? and how do you kind of integrate family life into that cycle?
1: Yeah, It's a, t- it's a tough question. It's a, it's a great question. We utilize our, for those who are in, who uh, of your listeners who are familiar with that OKR model mm-hmm. of setting goals and, and output actions, we have adapted that to us on, in something we call the game plan, GAM. so it's goals, actions, and metrics. And we have game plans for the year in every major category of our business. We have them for the quarter and we literally do them every month as well. Because I think in a tech business, you move so fast, quarterly feels like way too slow, right? My accountants get my financials back to me on the 12th of the month of the following month. And I'm like, this is so far, I mean, 12 <laughs> days is the month into 12 I days don't. ago. Like I want the financials the next morning, right? Which is not possible. Yeah. And so- we move pretty fast. We're always pushing hard. But when we have those times where we have like a major launch of a, of a product or service and the team has all worked hard, one of the things we've worked really hard with, with our, in our HR department, which I hesitate to even call it an HR department because it's really an advocate. Our HR department is an advocate for our staff. And much like Netflix, we have flexible paid time off, unlimited paid time off, but you are absolutely expected to take it it's not, hey, there's two weeks of vacation. It's like when you need to get away and go to Mexico or go do whatever you need to do to to free the bandwidth in your brain, you have to do that. And so we do look at work. we have those times built in that are like deloads, what we call deloads in the training world, That's right? Great. Where you work really, really hard and you're doing more weight and more volume than you've ever done in the weight room. And then at some point you have to take a step back and let your body recover. And the same occurs for us and for our staff. For me, and this is just for me, and I'm, I'm really only speaking to my experiences that my best ideas for the business moving forward almost always occur on vacation it's when I'm not in the day-to-day operations at all for a week or 10 days or two weeks that I come back and go, oh my God, I just got this. I, I can see now this little pivot that needs to occur, this addition that needs to come in. And it's it's not coming back and turning the business on its head. It's like you you see, it's, it comes back to that optimization. You're not able to really see the forest through the trees often when you're in the trenches all the time. And so to, to go on vacation and have those times, which I always do with my family. And so actually in general for us, we take a lot of quote unquote vacations, but I, I work often during the vacations, right? When I'm really going to unplug about every other vacation, I take one just with my wife. And then the next one I take with my wife and my kids and we go back and forth. So actually my wife and I, in February, we went to Mexico. We go to Mexico a lot and all unplug really unplugged from the business. And what I mean by that is not that I'm a slave to the work. I won't be a slave to the work. I won't do the online coaching. I won't be in the day-to-day operations. But because I love this company and because I, like, how could you, how can you literally take your mind off of it? I want to be present with my family. I want to be present with like the good food I'm eating. I want to enjoy the, the, those things that are given to us in life. And when a, I don't want my mind constantly focused on the business. But what I've found is that when I'm Able to have the bandwidth in my brain to really think about the business as a whole, uh, and not even on purpose, not with an intention. Just I'm laying out on the beach reading a book, and I get these ideas, and I start to go, "Oh man, oh man!" And I start, you know, typing notes in my in my phone notepad. I come back invigorated for that, and so. Often it's the same way in, in weightlifting and strength training. You take that deload week and you're not sure if you want it and you're not sure if you need it. And then your coach makes you back off on the weight or the stress or whatever. And by the end of that week, you're chomping at the bits to get back in the gym and lift heavy again. People always talk about, you need a vacation from the vacation, right? Well, then you're doing vacation wrong. And we do some of those too, Like right? Sometimes we take vacations where we go to cities and we explore the whole city and it's go, go, go the whole time. But that's not even really a vacation. That's almost like a part of the homeschool process. We go to DC and we go to all the museums and we go to the Smithsonian and, you know, we go to the art museum. We go to all these, that's not really a vacation. Vacation for us is to unplug. We go to the beach, Hmm. we go to the mountains, we eat good food, we drink good drink, we spend time with each other. We play board games at night as a family, those sort of things. What I'll find though is because there's more time, to just not do anything, these incredible ideas come up in my mind. And so I come back chomping at the bits to get going again.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's very true. When you build a business from scratch, it becomes an inextricable part of you. Right. And I think that's that, that, like you say, you're never a slave to it. I mean, I don't know about you that from time to time, it definitely feels like a slave to it. Right. That's just life, you know, but, um, I totally agree with you there, you know, about that idea that, you just clear the fog out a little bit right that's right all of a sudden you see things you didn't see before
1: yeah well well put uh
0: matt one last one one of the things i'm really interested from you so you know barber logic you coach and you have some world-beating athletes your as your clients and in your team right if i can be 80 percent as strong as nikki sims yeah that's a great goal for me yeah you can tell nikki but maybe nikki listen to that nikki coached me a few years ago what the can you tell me about some lessons you've learned from your clients about high performance at work and home or your team
1: sure so i would like to redefine high, high performance for people who are listening and they know i'm a strength coach it's not really for me it's not actually about the weight that they lift right now it is on some level we're a strength coaching company and the company is called barbell logic we're trying to improve force production like those things do really matter but we have some really high performers who are not in the top 10% of the world's population in strength and the thing that that high performers all seem to have in common is their ability to focus and get stuff done focus is really what it is, right? People who are able to really focus and turn off the other stuff. So that idea of understanding the difference between what's important and what's urgent, and being able to put your mind and your eyes and your actions focused on the thing that is important to accomplish the goal, that is the commonality among the founder that has started what becomes a billion-dollar business, or whether that's the world record holder in the squat or the deadlift or the world's strongest man, the commonality across all of that is the ability to focus and get stuff done. And, First off, I would love to take all the credit for that. I am I am really good at that, but I think I'm mostly good at it genetically. And the reason I say that is because my brother, who runs a a very large, owns, he's actually mostly retired now, not in the day-to-day operations, three years younger than me, and owns a, a one of the world's largest uh, insurance software companies. Uh, he has the same ability. Now, we work really hard on this thing to make sure that we're able to, to focus and get stuff done, but I definitely do not have ADD. I don't struggle with shiny, pretty things going by in my mind. There are some intentional pieces to that. I stay off social media on my phone in general. Like, it's not that I'm not on it. It's just that I have the specific times when I'm on it and it's very rare. I have all the notifications turned off my phone. I have all those, you know, like that sort of Cal Newport version of deep work to really be able to work deep on the thing that matters is the thing that separates the high performers from the ones that are just okay. And that that is the same that's true whether we're talking about in the gym or in the boardroom. The yeah. ability to focus and get stuff done is really what it's all about.
0: Bang on straight to the point and so true. And you see it, you know, relentless focus on execution, throwing away the things that don't matter and doing the things that do. That's right. Uh, it's not very complicated, is it?
1: <laughs> What's well, easier said than done, right? Because it requires yeah, it you to pull some weeds right? You got to pull the weeds. And often people don't want to pull the weeds. Uh, But everybody has those places that you look at and you go like, this isn't bringing me any value. I thought about this years ago as the business started to really grow like crazy in in 16 and early 17. I started thinking about all the things I was doing on a daily basis in the day-to-day operations that I just hated. Like I hated calculating payroll, I remember was one. I mean, it was still early enough. We didn't have an HR department, right? You're You're a team of five. I had maybe had two employees and I had 25 or 30 contractor coaches and I'm calculating payroll and I'm the guy paying the payroll, which means as I see the number continue to increase at the bottom, I'm just getting more angry. You're right. And yet it's a great thing. The more you pay out, it's the more money that's coming in. It's all good. And I started thinking like, why am I calculating payroll? I'm running the, I I own the company, right? So that was one of about 25 things. I immediately, like literally that was on vacation. While I was on vacation, I hired someone to start doing our payroll and I never did payroll again. And I still don't do payroll because I just, just go ahead and tell me the number once it's worked out. Like, okay, there it is. That's how much is coming out of the account. Got it. You know. And by doing that, it allows me to focus on the things that I'm, that I am good at and where I can actually contribute to the business. It's not that doing payroll is not an important part of your business. It is an important part of your business, but the CEO of a company with 90 employees should not be calculating payroll anymore. And that's not because I'm too good for it, just like I'm not too good to clean the toilets or doing, there is, is no job that I'm too good to do. But for me, it, it became very important to start to go, okay, how do I free up the space to do the stuff that really matters, uh, where I can really yeah. contribute and make a move the needle for the company?
0: Yeah, it comes circles really nicely around to that point of opportunity cost. Yeah, I read a really great hack, which I use now myself, by uh, Toby Litka who is the CEO of Shopify and he just talked about color coding his cal- calendar by leverage. Yeah. Right? And that's he's so like, good. what's the highest leverage thing that I can do? And then at the start of the week he looks at it and goes, okay, I need to get rid of these low leverage things. That's right. <laughs> right. That's right. I got to find a way, I got to group them up and move them on, outsource, automate, engineer, whatever I got to do. Yep. I got to do that. It's great. It's just been so great for me. It's similar very similar to what you're saying there. So,
1: absolutely. Couldn't agree more.
0: Well, Matt, look, what an amazing episode. Uh, I wish we had another two hours to keep this going. I'm going to probably harangue you at some point again to come on the show again uh, as Barbell Logic continues to grow and thrive. Um, Let's wrap up, I suppose. What's the biggest lesson that you've learned from your journey in entrepreneurship that you want to pass on to your kids?
1: That's good. That work ethic matters. That what work gets us, i.e. the paycheck, isn't the goal but that the work itself can be the goal, that the work itself is refining, that there's value in the work. Uh, The paycheck's great. Don't get me wrong, right? It's just like with strength training. For us, everybody wants to look better. There's nothing wrong with wanting to look better. But if looking better is the sole reason for doing the physical work, you've, you've missed the mark, right? We do the work to improve quality of life. What we do in the gym improves our quality of life. It helps us perform better physically, mentally, emotionally, as a as a dad, as a husband, as a business owner. Those things all matter far more. And the, you know, natural byproduct of that is oh, by the way, we also get to look better. Work is the same way. Like you do work and yeah, you get paid for the thing and the and the pay is awesome. But that's not the goal. The goal is to is to love the work, is to understand the refining process of the work. Like that there's power in that my old podcast partner used to call it, he called it my Protestant work ethic. He was like, you're just too deeply rooted as a Calvinist, man. And I don't know that that's what it is. I just, I, I enjoy it. Now, listen, there was a time in my life when I had a job, when I was a public school teacher, when I had other, that I hated the work. I hated the work. And so if you find yourself there, like that's, that's a terrible place to be. And so for me, finding joy in the work itself, I think was huge. And that's what I hope I get to pass on to my kids and to other people that I influence.
0: Brilliant. Well, look, that was amazing. I'm sure that I'm not allowed to say this, but I'm going to say it. This has been my favorite uh, conversation we've had so far. thank you. Uh, Absolutely fantastic. So I suppose before we wrap up, um, we like to close our episode with our regular feature, Startup Shoutouts. It's a non-sponsored section uh, where we shine a light on some of the organizations, people, or teams in the startup ecosystem that we admire.
1: Startup Shoutouts.
0: So, uh, Matt, who's your startup shoutout this week?
1: I was thinking about this. Um, what we do, and in, in piggybacking off of what I just said, I believe that what we do in the gym and the way we coach improves quality of life. And it's not the only way to improve your quality of life, right? Getting strong. Um, but I'm always trying to pursue other companies or other communities that also improve my quality of life. One that, that we have become friends with and we don't have any sort of sponsored connection with either is, um, is You Need a Budget, YNAB. And it's actually because their founder is a client of ours, Jesse Meekham. It's just a way, it's a sort of a different way of thinking about budgeting your own finances. And when you find financial freedom, that improves your quality of life as well. And so I love WineAb. Wineab's a great startup. We've gone out and done seminars for them. Big fan of Wineab, big fan of art of manliness. I'm sure Mm -hmm. there's probably a lot of crossover there between your listeners and Brett McKay, who's one of my now personal friends, but has been my client for years, just runs a great website on, on, he's able to stay out of the mire and muck of the politics and the polarization and just talk about like, hey, let's talk about things that matter. And that might, that might be a, a deep discussion on why reading the classics matter, where it might be on like how to tie a Windsor knot on your tie. Like it's, it's, and so I love Art of Manliness. It's, uh, Brett's as genuine of a guy as you could possibly find. Those are two companies that we work with uh, frequently and, um, and, and really have a, a similar culture outlook as us. And then the, the other thing, which I, I wouldn't say are startups, but for me is I am, I, I can't plead enough with your listeners to be constantly pursuing knowledge. Like the ev- never ending pursuit of knowledge is huge. And so I take every minute that I possibly can and I'm reading books or listening to audiobooks or listening to podcasts. And so I think in order to be really successful in this world, you, you have to be, you have to have a never ending pursuit of knowledge, but on a personal level. Yeah. I think, I think art of manliness and YNAB are two of my favorites that I I love to just be part of it's, it's, it's wonderful for us to be able to have our finances in order. We use YNAB for the business finances too. So not just our personal finances. And so, um, yeah, those are, those are great. And none of those are sponsored. Uh, they're just good guys with great cultures.
0: Uh, Absolutely. Fantastic. We'll be sure to put links to those guys. And I'm a huge fan of Brett's work. I have been for years. Yeah. Uh, be sure to drop those into the show notes. Matt, look, thank you so much for coming on this. This was a fantastic, slightly different podcast than one we've had before. The axis of st- strength alongside startups. I, I don't think, you know, I mean, you can claim startup strong, Dad. I can't, yeah, I got a little while to go, but that's okay. That's why, <laughs> as you rightly said, it's about the journey. Um, that's right. Is there anything you'd like to shout out, uh, you know, from Barbell Logic, uh, you, yourself, before we wrap sure. up? Sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is what I, I like to tell people. is what I. It's always awesome to be able to try to I would love for your listeners to be members of that block family and be and be online coaching clients. But here's where here's where I'd start. We put out tons of content for free. And so go to our YouTube channel and check out if you don't know how to get started, how to how to do the squats or the or deadlifts or what the program should look like. You walk into a gym and there's 500 different machines and you don't know where to start. We make very short, highly produced easily digestible videos that you can watch on YouTube that just will help you get started. We have the Barbell Logic podcast for the long form piece. We have series on the podcast that that are called things like how to get started, right? So listen to the how to get started series or whatever it is that appeals to your programming series, things like that. That's a great place to get started. Some of your listeners will become content consumers of Barbell Logic and that doesn't cost a dollar and never will. Uh, and then some of those people will see that they're a good fit for who we are and they'll become clients. And that's great. I'm not, I'm not worried about that. So would love for you to find us. And on, um, we're certainly, we're on all of the social media networks as barbell logic or barbell underscore logic. If you want to follow me on a personal level, I'm at Reynolds strong, mostly on Instagram and post a little more than I used to just because I'm, it seems like people like this combination of strength coach. CEO running a fitness company and then also sort of just general business efficiency, productivity work sort of stuff. And so I try to focus my Instagram more around that and less about sushi pictures or birthday parties or whatever. And so if that's what you're into, you can follow me at Reynolds strong and everywhere else at barbell logic or barbell underscore logics, easy to find uh, feel free to reach out. You can always set up an experience call with one of our coaches. So we always try to give people a free taste of what it's like to be a client at Barbell Logic. so if you want to do that you can go to the website at barbellogic.com and just say hey i just want to i want to see what you do for free and there's no sales push at the end it's just like yeah you want to see what online coaching looks like and how this could work for you you can check that out at barbellogic.com
0: matt thank you so much for coming on this show
1: thank you love telling the story thanks so much for giving me the opportunity to to do it is a big honor for me
0: Many thanks to today's guest. You'll find links to them and their work in the show notes. To join our community of parent founders, head over to the Startup Dance Facebook group.